Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, I want to invite you to turn with me now in sacred scripture to the book of Luke chapter 10. And as you find your way to Luke chapter 10, I want to welcome in the rest of our church family as they worship with us in the Family Life Center and encourage you as well to turn with us to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to begin reading in 25, Luke 10, verse 25. Hear these words. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that same place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Having poured oil and wine on them, he, he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The reading of the sacred word. It is reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. Most loving and glorious God, we gather in this place and sisters and brothers in in our family of faith gather in places all over the world today to acknowledge your lordship in our lives. We recognize 
holy Christ. That you are alive today just as you were alive on Easter morning. And you are calling each of us into that aliveness. We recognize and confess to you that there are so There are so many challenges that keep us from imagining life in you. There's so many obstacles that keep us from living freely and fully and abundantly in you. And our simple prayer now is this, that for the next few moments, you would relieve from the minds of your worshipers. That you would remove from the hearts and souls of your worshipers any burden that keeps us from seeing you so that we may see and believe. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day for this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So sing with me, everybody. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. And since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Big finish. Won't you please? Won't you please, come on, please won't you be my neighbor? Well, hello neighbor. The thing that makes Fred Rogers so endeared and beloved in the hearts of millions is because not only did he provoke in the minds of children for ages, ages. Not only did he provoke in them the capacity to see beauty in all his or her neighbors. Not only did he teach us to marvel at the great diversity, the great spectrum of beauty in all, each one of our unique, distinct individual neighbors, but he also did something else. He called children and adults into action won't you be could you be please won't you be my neighbor he called people into action and i can't think of a more appropriate summation of the text that we've been studying for three weeks than just this it is a call to neighbor you remember how it started right Two weeks ago, we talked about this lawyer who comes and he asks Jesus a question. Jesus, what is the most important thing? Of all the commandments, which one is the most important, the greatest? And Jesus said, love God 
Love God with everything that is in you, heart, mind, soul. One text even says strength. But the second is just like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And we began to imagine two weeks ago that you can't do the first without the second. That you can't love God without loving those whom God has made in God's own beautiful image. And we said, if you have to love God, if you want to love God, you have to love the people God loves. So we came back a second week, and that lawyer asks a follow-up question. Well, who exactly is my lawyer? (laughs) (laughs) Who exactly is my neighbor? What he was attempting to do was to limit a definition of neighborliness such that he might just qualify as obeying the command, but free him up so that he can hate this person and still keep this people group at a distance and be able to still say, I was faithful. And we learned that second week, as we imagine who our neighbor is, we imagine, well, the priests came along and they saw the man lying half dead on the side of the road and kept walking. But the Samaritan came and he not only saw, but he recognized something in the man lying in the ditch. He recognized the holy presence and action of God bidding him to move forward and take a risk of loving him. And we imagined that second week that to love God with everything is in us, it means that we have to love those whom God has made. But to love those whom God has made means that we need to learn how to see better so that we may be able to learn how to see through the eyes of Christ and remove the lenses that keep us from seeing clearly the beautiful and holy action of God in all creatures. But still... The story is not finished. Still, we have a conclusion to the story that we have not yet attended because of all the wonderful lessons that can come out of this parable of the Good Samaritan. The whole point of this story is to bring us to the very last exchange between Jesus and the man who asked the question. It reads this way Jesus said, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, okay, then go and do likewise. The whole point of the parable moves us to a place of action. It moves us to a place where we put action upon our words. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, look, if you really want to love your neighbors, don't spend your time thinking about, well, who is my neighbor and who will be neighbor to me? I wonder who is going to neighbor me this week. Instead, order your life in such a way that you become neighbor to anyone God puts in your path. In short, he basically said, do what the Samaritan did. So what did the Samaritan do? I'm glad you asked. I want us to look very closely at three particular verses. We read them just a moment ago, but look at verse number 35. Or, I'm sorry, look at verse number... Well, pick a verse. (laughs) Verse number 33. I want you to look at verse number 33. And while you're looking, somebody order me a large print Bible. 
you think I'm kidding. But as we read this now, once again, I want you to read with a particular radar. Pay attention to the verbs. Pay attention to the number of verbs, the volume of verbs, the frequency of verbs that are used to describe the action of the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Seventeen verbs. Seventeen verbs in the span of three short verses. Seventeen verbs of approach and initiative and mercy and action. Now compare that to a verse just two or three prior to that that describes the verbs used to give us an idea of what the priests did when seeing the man on the side of the road. This is the text. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, when he, the Levite came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Three verbs each for the guys who were supposed to have all the answers. Three verbs each to describe the action when compared to 17 verbs of action and movement and motion and initiative. What did the Samaritan do? The Samaritan made neighbor a verb. Jesus says, neighbor the world. Neighbor, the world. I love what Henry Nouwen says about this text. And I wonder what it would take for us to turn our neighbor into a verb. In fact, as we move along, and Gwen, can I get you to do me a favor? I know I just broke the fourth wall down the hall. I need some water. Would you grab me that? Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. He made neighbor a verb. Watch this. We're about to come here. We're about to freak out the people in the FLC. Hey, look. Glenn. Okay, now watch this. All right. Thank you, Glenn. He made neighbor a verb. Do you know what this reminds me of? About a week or so ago, I saw a post on social media that described the actions right after Hurricane Harvey. And it was a poignant post. Here it is. It says here, Breaking, the first truckload of your thoughts and prayers have now arrived. (laughs) Feel that a minute. It's an empty truck. Now, our thoughts and prayers matter. Believe me, 
I have a vocation that reminds people that thoughts and prayers matter. I believe that the world is held together by thoughts and prayers. But thoughts and prayers that are not backed up by action are just thoughts and prayers. That's why we call for generosity and donations and volunteering. It also reminds me a little bit of the story about the man who was walking down the street in the city. And he didn't see it, but he falls into this hole. We could have had some fun with that just now in the other room. He falls in this hole, and, and he's there for hours, and all the people are passing by. People are passing by, and he, he, he sees them, but he can't get out, and he calls out to them, Hello, I'm stuck down here. Can somebody do something to get me out of this mess? And they kept passing by until eventually he sees someone he recognizes. He sees his doctor. He says, Doc, it's me, Harry. I've got myself in a bind. Would you mind helping me out here? And the doctor said, well, gosh, how did you do that, Harry? How did you get that? I don't know, but I'm here again. Would you help me out? And the doctor said, well, sure. So he takes out a pad and writes a prescription and drops it into the hole. <laughs> then people pass by, and hours pass by, and all these people ignore him there, and he calls out when he sees someone else he recognizes. He sees his pastor. And he says, hey, Rev. Here I am, I'm in trouble, could you help me out here? And the pastor says, oh sure, no problem, Harry. And he writes out a prayer and drops it down into the hole. And then as people continue to pass, he looks and he sees one more that he recognizes. It's his friend, it's his neighbor. And he says, George, I'm kind of stuck. Would you mind helping me out? And George says, well, how did you get down there, Harry? He said, I don't know, but I'm here. Can you lend me a hand? And he says, well, sure. And he jumps into the hole with him. <laughs> and then Harry says, what are you doing? Are you crazy now? We're both stuck. But then George says, oh, it's okay. Because, see, I've been in this hole before, and I know the way out. James chapter 2 reads this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? And I like to reverse that word and call it action. If you say you have faith but have no action, can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no action, is dead. The Samaritan demonstrates for us that if we are serious about loving God, which we have already said, loving God means we must love a neighbor, but if we're serious about loving the neighbor, it means that we have to put action upon our words. Henry Nouwen said it this way. He said, you know what? The only difference between the Samaritan in this story and the two priests in this story is that the Samaritan was the only one who made the decision to cross the street and climb in a ditch. Which for me raises a provocative question for you and for me, the question is, what street will you have to cross in order to truly love your neighbor? I mean, what is the obstacle that you have to overcome? What barrier do you have to break through in order to truly love your neighbor? Because every one of us has a street 
And upon the other side of the street is some neighbor that God has put in our lives, and it means that we have to move across some barrier, some street. And, and the street that you have to cross is going to be different than the street that your sister, your brother, your mother, your father has to cross. We all have unique streets that we must learn to cross by faith. But I believe that there may be two or three streets that we have in common. Do you know one of the streets that I think we have in common that we must learn to cross? You can't love a neighbor until you learn to cross this street. Self Street. In order to get to the other side of the street where a neighbor is needing our love, our care, our mercy, our compassion, we have to get over self. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said about this passage. When preaching about it, he said that everyone knew that the Jericho Road was a treacherous road. It was the, the scene of several acts of violence and terror. It's because of the way it's laid out, the Jericho Road, where this scene unfolds. It's only a half mile in distance, but over the course of that half mile, it drops in elevation 2,000 feet, which means it makes for some very sharp turns and curves and crevices, hairpin turns in which there may be dark shadowed crevices where bandits, thieves, robbers lurked waiting to ambush anyone who traveled Jericho Road. And the priests knew that. And the Samaritan knew that. In fact, any of the victims that lay half dead on the side of the road were very often not victims at all, but were accomplices, lying as a lure to draw some soft-hearted individual to become the victim of an attack. The priest knew this. The Samaritan knew this. And King says the only difference between the two, the fundamental difference between the priests and the Samaritan was the question they chose to ask themselves before acting. The priest asked the question, what will happen to me if I help this man? The Samaritan asked, what will happen to this man if I don't help him? Loving a neighbor hangs on which question you choose to live your life by. Will I live my life out of complete self-preservation or self-empty? When Paul writes about it, Paul says, look, this is the whole point. It, it, it's, it's a great reversal of care that Christ calls us to, to where it's not all about you. That sometimes the risk demands that it be about somebody else. And in Philippians chapter 2, this is how he described it. He said, look, let each of you look not to your own interests, but, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. Choosing to love a neighbor requires saying yes to the risk of the self emptied life 
Now, you could say, okay, well, if that's the case, that's what I'm going to do. I want to love God, and I know that loving God means I have to love my neighbor. And if I'm going to love my neighbor, it means I have to give, uh, wake up to a self-emptying lifestyle. That's true. But what you may assume is, well, then I'll just get up in the morning, and I'll, I'll make that my goal. I'm going to empty myself out. But the self-emptying life doesn't happen by a will of the mind. It happens by a daily surrender to the mind of Christ. Don't forget that it was Christ who stood on the cosmic hairpin turn of the universe and saw humankind lying half dead and asked himself, not what will happen to me if I take the cross upon me, but rather what will happen to humankind if I don't. And you and I can have that same mind that Christ had with a daily yielding. And that's the only way we make it across self street is by dumping self on the way. But it may, may not be self street that you have to cross. Maybe you've already crossed that. There are other streets. Another one that I want to suggest is common to all of us. Assumption Avenue. You think on that while I hydrate. As my dear friend Bill Self used to say, we Baptists are water-powered. <laughs> Assumption Avenue. Here's what's intriguing to me about this text. Nobody knows who the guy was lying on the side of the road. Nobody knows because it was in an era when you could tell by what a person wore and what kind of animal he had and what kind of materials he carried. You knew what he did for a living, what his vocation was, what his social status was. You recognized that, but not in this story because it had all been stripped from him, leaving the reader to make all kinds of assumptions about who he may have been. Beloved, when you intend to love a neighbor... Sometimes you have to walk across Assumption Avenue because you never know what neighbor may be lying in a ditch near you. It was April the 14th, 1912. Joel Gregory, remember him? He tells the story of the king of Denmark, Frederick VIII, who on that night was on his way home from a vacation in Nice on the, the coast of the Mediterranean. He, he was there recovering from arteriosclerosis, and on his way back, they stopped at Hamburg. They stayed at the, the famous Hamburger Hof Hotel. At 10 o'clock that night, the king of Denmark, Frederick VIII, decides to take a stroll through the city streets. But he doesn't want to be recognized, so therefore he goes out in disguise. And as he's walking about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, he makes his way to the city center, to the famous Goose Market, and he sits down on a public bench. And he has a sudden, unexpected attack of what uh, was known back in 1912 as um, apoplexy. It was a severe cerebral hemorrhage. He was dying. And no one knows how many people walked by. Dozens of people walking by this presumably this vagrant lying on the bench. They couldn't tell that it was the king of Denmark. Eventually, a doctor recognized this man 
in trouble, didn't know who he was, but got the help of a police officer to take him to the hospital. On his way to the hospital, he dies. At the hospital, they don't recognize him. They tag him and put him in the morgue with eight or nine other complete strangers, presumably vagrants. Early the next morning, around dawn, his butler becomes worried. He goes out into the city looking for him. He goes to the police station and says, um, have you seen the uh, king of Denmark? Eventually, they make their way to the hospital. When it becomes known, it shocks the world. They send word to the royal family. They come in the royal yacht, followed very closely by a Danish warship. It was a, a shock then as it is a reminder to us now that you never know who's lying in the ditch near you. You never know the story that is being lived out in the person who you're called to love. And it, it, it doesn't always work that way. It's not just that our neighbors are always in ditches. Sometimes the neighbor that you're called to love is not in a ditch but looks on the outside to be perfectly fine. I think of the tragic story of Robin Williams. He made millions laugh and cry. Amazing actor and comedian. He made us laugh with his wit and his physical comedy. And about a year or so ago, when he took his own life, it was revealed that he had harbored a, a, a deep darkness that no one knew about. A deep depression that he didn't tell anyone about. You see, sometimes we can look perfectly fine and be enditched in the soul. Who is God calling you to love? Because it may mean that you absolutely have to step across Assumption Avenue to get to them because God sees them in a way that you could never see them. 1 Samuel puts it this way, The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It may be that the person God has put in your life to love, all you see is what is on the outside, but there's something in them that God recognizes needs you. Needs you. And each day, if we are serious about loving our neighbor, it means that we wake saying, God, show me how to see the world and your people and, and the people you love through your eyes because I will miss it. I will absolutely miss it. I'll see a vagrant on the bench and not know he's a king. And I'll laugh and laugh and delight in those who give life and joy and laughter and not know that they're dying inside. Show me how to cross over Assumption Avenue. And there's one more street. <laughs> Maybe you don't have to cross over Self Street. Maybe it's not Assumption Avenue. But I think all of us at one point or another have to come to grips with how to find our footing across what I'm calling It's Too Hard Boulevard. Because <laughs> I hear you, Sean. I know if we want to love God, then we have to love those who God loves. And if we want to love those who God loves, we've got to get over some streets. I get that, but you don't know the person that I'm talking about. I mean, they're just mean. They're ugly, they're nasty to me. They've said some things about me. They've slandered my name. You don't know what they've done to my family. I know. But Jesus never said that this kind of love would be easy. He just said it's absolutely required, that's all. 
It may be that they're the very person who represents everything you stand against. It may be that their, their worldview, it may be that their way of life, it may be that everything that they espouse is what you reject, but yet you're not off the hook. You're still called to love, and it may mean that you and I have to learn a pride-swallowing siege, that we have to swallow our pride and step over its too hard boulevard, and sometimes that means we give up our impulse to win. We give up our impulse to be right, I know, I like to be right too. But Jesus never called any of his disciples to be right. But to be love. And sometimes we have to get over It's Too Hard Boulevard by humbling ourselves. It may be that it's an enemy that you're called to love. Someone who is absolutely the polar opposite of everything that you are. And they're attacking you. And yet, I think of the words of Jesus in Luke 6 when he says... If you love those who love you, well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. I know it's hard, loving the neighbor. It may even be that loving the neighbor means that you have to confront them on something. And that's never easy because the moment you bring it up, it's going to change everything. The moment you bring it up, the dynamic will change. It'll get all creepy, all weird when you go out together. It's going to be, but maybe it's time to come to the place where you say, I do love you. And because I love you, you got to stop getting in these ditches. I mean, I pulled you out of a ditch last week. And love doesn't let you get back in the ditch. Love, I'm telling you, I love you. Stay out of the ditch. And that's hard. But crossing over its too hard boulevard, that's the point. But here's the best news of all. And if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this above all and under all and around all that I've said today. Regardless what street it is that you are called to cross, you're not crossing it by yourself. That God goes with you if your mission is love. That God is constantly with you if you are obedient, attempting to love as God has commanded us to love. I think of the words of, of Joshua. In Joshua 2, we hear these words, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In fact, I'll push it even further and say, when you muster the faith to step across whatever street whether it's Self Street or Assumption Avenue or It's Too Hard Boulevard, maybe you need to remember that it's not just that God chooses to go with you on that endeavor of love. God is already on the other side of the street. Don't forget that God is already up to something good in the lives of those God has put in our life, whether or not we participate. God is attempting this rescue mission on God's own. The privilege is he invites us to participate. I've said it before and I'll say it again and again. The call of God will never lead you where the grace of God will not sustain you. So it comes down to a question. What street must you cross in order to truly love a neighbor? Let's pray.
God, this day we are mindful of your call. It's uncompromising. It's it's as straightforward, crisp, and clean as it can possibly be. Our highest call is love. Will you show us what streets we must learn to cross in order to meet our neighbor right where they are? Show us how to muster the courage to submit our lives before you so that we can get over self-street. Show us how to seek every day to look at life through your eyes and not our own so that we might navigate Assumption Avenue. And Lord, by grace, keep calling, even if it takes a while for us to muster the courage, keep calling us to cross over its too hard boulevard so that we may experience the joy of loving with you the children you have already decided to love. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord.